0: And welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm one of your hosts, Jordana Osban, Here with my friend, Chavruta and Gordon. Our daf today, Masach Pesachim, daf Lamed Hay, 35. Well, our daf has a really nice Mishnah, which I'm going to read in a couple of minutes. But right before we get to the Mishnah, there's a braisa here that I want to go through. If you recall, starting on Lamed Dalet, we're having a discussion about, are there different or added stringencies to certain kudshim foods, right? And, you know, this started with a discussion of, of truma, But the idea that maybe these types of foods, you know, we treat them a little bit differently because we want to be stricter with them. And we bring a brisa here that actually mentions one that we learned before when we were doing those Dapim about Tuma and Tara. Um, And so I just, but this one gives the actual biblical source for something that we talked about before. I'm a Ravashi. So Ravashi said, Avana Nami Tanina. We've also learned this in a brisa. The Habasars. So the brisa starts with this pasuk that comes from Vayikra. Um, and it's talking about the shlamim offering, and it says and the meat. And so the question is, what is this additional vav there for? It seems to be an added vav. And again, this is always the type of thing that the Tanaim were very sensitive to when they were doing, you know, this type of Midrash Halacha that we're seeing all over This is to include the wood, and the frankincense, right, of the kachim, which basically t- teaching us that they are actually subject to be makabal tuma. If we remember, one of the things that we had learned about before, right, is that tuma can only go to food, something that's actually edible. And we had learned this opinion of Rabbi Akiva that, you know, even the uh, the uh, livona and the etsim, some of these inedible things that were used in the Beit Hamidash could also become Tame, and it's from this Pasuk here. So now the wood and the frankincense, can they really become Tame, right? Because the Gemara is asking that question. They're inedible. You can't actually eat them. Rather, what? This is a stringency. In other words, this is exactly what we're talking about. Here we have something that is, you know, it's part of the Kudshim, and therefore there's going to be this added stringency on it. Right? Hachanami Ma'ala. So therefore, you know, we're going to say that this is like Truma, that there are certain types of kachim that the rabbis enact special types of stringencies on. But I just wanted to show sort of the biblical source for something that we learned about many Dapim ago. Um, you know, this idea that there could be certain things that are Makabal Tuma, even though they are actually inedible. All right, now we'll get on to a new Mishnah here. And it's it's a rather long one, but a very interesting one. And basically, what this Mishnah is going to deal with is that, you know, as we know, there's a mitzvah from the Torah itself that we have to eat matzah on the first night of Pesach. And so the Mishnah here is going to lay out what type of matzah. In other words, what can the matzah actually be made of? And I think it's from a structural point of view, interesting that we have been spending so much time talking about getting rid of chametz. And now we're sort of moving on to the matzah piece of Pesach. So these are the basically the types of grain or the types of things which a person can fulfill his obligation with of eating matzah on this you know first night of Pesach. Bichitin with wheat, bseorim with barley, bikkus means spelt. That's always the one of the grains I forget. Ubishifon with rye, ubishibola shual and with oats. So these are the five you know grains that we always talk about. And this is what you can make matzah with. Mishnah is going to go on and say Um, You also could use demai. Now the Gemara will talk about this a little bit further. But demai, remember, is produce that you're not sure if Truman maser was taken from. Right? It has this in between status. It's not clear exactly um, if that was if if it was done with it, um, it or it also could be. Uh, you know, it's the produce of what we would call an amha aron. It's like uh, remember that there were certain people were very meticulous to make sure that Truman Maser was done. And then there were certain people, again, they're called an amha arts It has a different connotation today that has a little bit more of an insult connotation. But I think there was just meant a category. So, you know, meant the general public that they were not careful. So their produce had the status of demai. You weren't sure if they were careful enough to take Truman Maser, but you can make matzah from produce of demai. Uba Maser Rishan Shinigla <inaudible> Trumata. You can use Maser Rishon, where the Truma was separated. Remember, Maser Rishon um, is what was given to the Leviam. Uba Maser Shani, the Hegdei Shanithu. Or Maser Shani, which was the Maser that needed to be eaten in Yerushalayim, uh, which was always done on year one, two, four, and five of the seven-year Shemitah cycle, right? Year three and six was Maser um, Ani, that you gave the Maser actually to a poor person. I'm sure we'll talk about it another time or head dish or consecrated property. And what it means by redeemed is, is that if you get, did your Maser Shani, you know, often if you live somewhere else in the country, by the time you would make it to Yerushalayim, presumably on the regalim, on the holidays, that fruit probably would go rotten. So often what you would do is you would sort of redeem it for money and then set the money aside. And then the money is what you would bring up to Yerushalayim and buy something in Yerushalayim that you would eat in Yerushalayim. And that would also be true for head dish. Um, so if that produce was already redeemed, right? If you had grain that you had set aside to be master Shani, you could then take it and you redeemed it for money already. And the money was set aside for you to buy something. The next time you renew Shalayim, you could take that grain and then make your matzah with it. But Koanim, right? And Koanim, Bahala. Koanim can make their matzah with the chala. So remember, uh, you know, the chala was a special gift that they were given or vitruma, and also with Truma. Of a tevel, but now we're going to go through things that you are not allowed to use in order to make your matzah. So you can't use tevel. So tevel is produce that we know truma and Master was not taken from yet. The loba Master Rishon should not la And you can't do the Master Rishon, right, where the Truma was not taken. So again, what this is, and I, I didn't explain this well the first time I read this, so I apologize Master Rishon, right, once it's given to the Levy, he, the Levy needs to also take a Truma portion to give to the Kohen. So if you have master Rishon, but the Truma wasn't taken from it yet, you're not allowed to uh, use that. And you can't use master Shani and Hegdeish produce that wasn't redeemed yet. And that makes sense because it's really still has sort of this Kedusha status that it actually still needs to be eaten in Yerushalayim. And then the Gemara finishes up by saying, Chalot Da. So, the loaves of the Todah. Now, when it says challah here, that's confusing because we think of challah as bread, but actually, these were not, these were unleavened breads that were given with the Todah offering, right? Urikike nazir. And there were these types of unleavened wafers that were brought with the korbanot that the nazir had to bring. Asian latzmo. So, the question is if somebody made these types of unleavened things, right, could you use that for matzah? And so the Mishnah says, if he made it just for himself, in other words, for the purpose of this Todah offering, or the Nazir for his offering, and Yodzei Baham, you're not actually allowed to use them, right? Because they weren't really made for the intent to fulfill his obligation for Matzah. They were made for the intent to fulfill the obligation of these other Korbanot. But let's say this person just made a bunch of them uh, to uh, sell in the shuk because you know, presumably, let's say a nazir's up in Yerushalayim, needs to bring his Corbanos. He's not going to bake it himself. He buys this Rikike uh, Nazir like they would have sold them in the Shuk in case a Nazir came by. So if you bought them to be sold, yotzim bahen. Then you actually uh, you can um, use them to fulfill your obligation. So very interesting mishnah that really goes through, I think, a lot of different pieces about the actual obligation of how we make the matzah itself uh, to eat that first night.
1: Oh boy, I think these definitions are really kind of helpful and then also startling because I I don't know, like you kind of think like, I know we know what matzah is and then it gives you all these different other options. On the other hand, in this day and age with everybody, so many people, not everybody, obviously so many people um, with different dietary restrictions, uh, you know, discovering all these different options for matzah is very, very helpful. I remember when that was much less available. Um, okay, I would like to do a little bit of the Gemara on this same Mishnah. Um, it's not, it's not unusual for a change. Tana, the Gemara explains the Mishnah. So the Mishnah says, Kusmin min chitin shibulat shual v'shifon min zorin kusmin gil shifon dishra uh et shual shivle shivle ta'ala hani in v'dotan lo. So this first part of the Gemara really just identifies literally what these different grains are for those who have Aramaic as a vernacular and to be able to translate exactly what each one is for those same people, right? So if we can say that kusmin is spelt, so the Gemara says, well, kusmin, the spelt is a type of wheat. Now, technically, that's not true. It's not the exact same. It's not the same, you know, type botanically or something like that. But the gemar does seem to do, draw a distinction between the different kinds of grains here. Because and well, chiffon, it says um, oats and rye, no, yeah, yeah, oats and rye, chiffon is rye, our type of barley, right? If you've got chita and seora, and now we want to line up the five of the, all five of the kinds of grains, we line them up into two clumps, the kinds that are like wheat and the kinds that are like barley. Husmin, and then we've got the we've got literally the translations into Aramaic. Kusmin Gulba and so that's again, I don't know these terms because this is just the again, the Aramaic of the time. Gulba, Dishra, Shvile Tala is again spelt and rye and oats, respectively. And then the crux of the Gemara's discussion comes on the next few words. Hani in. these, yes, meaning all of these are the ones that can become chametz and are also the ones that can become matzah. Or as dochan, the rice and millet, millet is dochan, though they cannot be used. They cannot be used for matzah, and by the same token, we're going to discover that they are presumed not to be to become chametz, um, with an interesting caveat about rice. So let's see where this goes. The Gemara says... From where do we get this, right? How do we know that you can't make matzah from rice or from millet to begin with? Meaning, everybody learned this. Amar Kra from the verse it says, "Lo tochal alav chameitz, shivat yamim alav matzot." So the verse in Devarim, Devarim tev, um te Zion, rather, um, chapter sixteen, where it says, "You'll eat." Seven seven days you're gonna eat leavened bread and seven days I'm sorry you should eat not leavened bread, oh my goodness you shall eat no leavened bread and then seven days you'll eat matzah. So this is of course the almost a paradox, right? That the very same foods that can become matzah are the exact same foods that are a problem for chametz. I mean of chametz, that they would become machmeed, they become leaven. Yatsu Elu, she'ein Baini de Chimutz, Elali de Sirchon. That excludes these, meaning rice and millet and things like rice and millet, where if you make flour from them and use them to shape loaves, whatever, you're still not gonna end up with the leavening, with rising in that kind of way where where your flour, your dough becomes better for the for the leaving it aside to grow right but rather the day Sirchon means well it's not entirely clear how to translate it how i want to translate it the english translation i've seen says decay i saw somewhere else it says fermentation i think that that's really the point that if you leave the dough made from rice um to and again i'm not talking about modern rice flour which is much more, I don't know if it's really fair to say it's much more sophisticated, but it seems to me to be much more sophisticated as a wheat substitute. But back then, if you are making your, you grind your rice up into flour, then you're going to make it, it's still not going to rise. What you're going to end up with is something that's, you know, verging on fermentation, not fermentation like yeast that ferments, but something like rice that ferments. So, the Gemara says, well, not everybody agrees with this. Meaning, might not even agrees that rice will end up fermenting as opposed to leavening. eaten Rabbi Yochanan Ben Nuri. min thought, and you know, acted on it that rice was a a, a kind of grain. al <speaking in Hebrew> and that you would be obligated if you were to eat it um, on Pesach, um, in you know. Um, I would say unintentionally, right? You still end up with karate. Or I guess it's intentionally but without Adam and Hatra. His reason for prohibiting he he actually prohibits Orez rice and Dokhan Millet because they are similar or they are close to being leavened. Whatever close to being leavened means. He clearly there's still a distinction between this and the other five, but He's not willing to say that they're just fine because they don't really uh, get leavened and really only ferment. So then, right, the, the Gemara wants to know what exactly is going on here with close to being leavened. So the Gemara says, "Well, what does it mean to be close to being leavened? Does that mean that it will become leaven quicker, right? Because it's it's so close to becoming leaven, or does it mean?" That it's not close to being leavened. It's not really ever going to get to a full-fledged chametz. And this is exactly the question of you know how is it is it so much leavening that you have something I don't know essentially more than the grains, or is it um, or is it going to be much much less? And I think in general, of course, we think this is much much less because we relate at least I relate to rice as potential kitniot, right, not as potential chametz, um, because this is, of course, the psak as it's come down over the generations. So Rabbi Yochanan Ben-Nuri, the Gemara goes on to say that, no, Rabbi Yochanan Ben-Nuri really thinks that rice is a full-fledged grain, and that you could, again, you'll get curried for it if you if you were to eat it in the same way that you would get curried for all the other chametzes, chametzim, and you could, you could fulfill your mitzvah for matzah on Pesach. Um, and of course, this is a really difficult psak, and we end up concluding otherwise as the daf goes on, as the gemara goes on. But before we do that, the gemara sidesteps and starts talking about a whole bunch of other, of other, uh, I don't know what, wild wheat. You know, the, there's one it's called, the one plant that's called shitsanita, which in English it seems to translate to call, to be called water manna grass. Which I happen to love this uh, translation manna grass meaning I assume like from the man from the manna in the desert but it's called water manna grass it must grow um, and have a I don't know a particularly I don't know what, what I see says that it's used primarily for animal food so I'm not really sure why it would have gotten dubbed manna and I didn't I really meant to look it up and I didn't have a chance and I'm sure we can all look at Wikipedia and it will tell us why um, but the real point here as far as we're concerned is that there Rav Yochanan manuri also where the Gemara Bay Rav Papa these names are all on your death. talk about other, again, they're not called grains. I'm not sure what to call them. Other plants that you can grind up and use in some kind of you know, flower type of way that it looks like some kind of wild grain. It feels like some type of wild grain. And at the end of the day, you're still not going to have them. It's not going to constitute chametz and
0: it's not going to be eligible for matzo. I'm amazed at the question of what grains could be Hamid is under machlokas, like it, it's such a <laughs> fundamental part of like Pesach, and it has like real halachic implication. I mean, many of our machlokot do, but this just seems like something that like I don't understand how there could be a machlokas on, on, over. I, I don't. I was really blown away by that with this gemara.
1: I feel like, but of course, I, I think also part of the tricky part is that (laughs) these words refer to something very, very specific. And any time we're talking about flora and fauna, and we understand that there's a Masora, right? There's a tradition that has been ongoing, right? I don't think there's ever, nobody says there's ever a gap in a tradition of what these things are, chita is wheat, is wheat, is wheat, and that's it. But what about the things that are not the obvious? And then you know, the question of whether they, do they constitute You know, are they similar enough to the things that we know that maybe they're also, they ought to be on that list, even if they happen not to be. And I think that that's where the makhluket creeps in, more so than, right, we know that the big five are the big five, and that's it. The question is, is it really it and you can't have anything else? Or maybe these other ones are similar enough that we should also treat them like hametz. And of course, this is where uh, it's not really, it's part of the whole conundrum of kitniot. Because to what extent are these other things really like hamates and to what extent are they really not?
0: Yeah. And I think it's interesting, you know, especially that piece that you read at the beginning about, you know, that certain grains don't actually leaven. Um, And that piece resonated with me because I think today, like you go into a store and there's all these different types of breads made from different things and gluten free, you know, our understanding and treatment of grain and how we consume grain is very different. Right. There's, It's not just about bread anymore.
1: So my favorite example of this and perhaps with this will close, but um, if you've ever had wild rice, which is like a black rice, they're long grains and they're called it's called rice. But really, apparently, if you read the little packet that come in you know, a little description that comes with it, it's really a an, botanically, I guess, a kind of grass. And it primarily grows in Canada and whatever if you cook it up well it's really yummy and has a nice flavor but the way it cooks is really like it they kind of like each grain kind of like explodes like it's it it poofs and then it explodes and it doesn't ever really become something that I can imagine grinding up and turning into flour you know so I'm sure someone could grind it if you cook it the right way I get it I'm, I'm not saying that I'm an expert in this I'm just saying that it does it is different than the way barley functions, for
0: example. Yeah, I know. I hear that. I, I think, you know, I'm curious if we're going to see more of these types of discussion. Um, and again, from a structural point of view, I just was sort of surprised when this Mishnah came about because it just seemed like we sort of left the topic of Hamid very quickly to already get into Matzah. Yeah, that's
1: that's a really interesting point. I think that's a really interesting right, point. Right, like there was no transition. We move our way through Eric. Right, there
0: was like no transition there. You know, I, I know we've spent over 30 Daphim talking about Hamid, but it just felt there there, <laughs> there seemed to me to lack some type of transitional Mishnah. I, I, I don't know why I feel that way.
1: I hear it. I would suggest that perhaps the transition was the entire day of the 14th of the month of Nisan that we, as you say, have been talking about all this time, because then and then boom, now we're at the
0: Cedar and we have to talk about matzah so we know what to do. I I think you are correct about that. Well, that's our top discussion for the day. Rank us, review us on all major podcasts. Thank you to Reverend Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hadron website. Let us know what you thought about this top and its new discussion about matzah on our Talking Talmud Facebook page. And until tomorrow, go and learn.